Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. I'm your host, Anthony Corcoran. Australian basketball coach. Um, my very first interview today, I'm here with Brian Curl here in Brisbane. Uh, welcome, Brian. Well, thank you, Anthony, and uh, <laughs> glad to be, a, I won't say it, a virgin uh, coach interview here, but uh, yeah, no, it's great, and uh, it's good to see uh, people helping basketball and doing things like you're doing, and this way, getting that knowledge out there is great. Yeah, thanks, Brian. It's probably one of my goals is to get around and talk to experienced coaches and, and uh, find out um, what makes them tick, uh, why they do what they do and and why they've had the success that they've had and and starting with you it's like my very first interview like uh, I'm you know can, sort of a little bit in awe of uh, your your basketball history um, and I've done a little bit of research um, you know the the number of NBL championships and your length of time in the league um, playing at the Olympics as well in 72 so lots to be proud of and, and, and I think it's a great honour today to interview you. So we're actually at uh, a, a school here in Brisbane today um, and Brian's here running a school holiday clinic and just having a chat before and he's off to Sherberg tomorrow and um, he's got a fairly relentless schedule. So I wanted to ask you, Brian, what drives your involvement in grassroots basketball? Yeah, it's a question I ask myself and a lot of people ask me that, Anthony. And, and look, basketball's been kind to me. And, you know, I never started basketball until I was uh, nearly 21 years of age. Never saw a game, never saw a basketball court or a basketball. And uh, I thought, well, you know, if I can reach the top um, and play for Australia within three and a half years of taking it up, um, then... I, I can go out there and inspire young people now who are starting at 10, 11, 12, 13. And I envy those kids because I didn't have those opportunities that they've got now. So I, that drives me there to encourage those kids to see, to see that what I did and they've got the opportunity to do it as well. But it's their decision, their choice, not not anybody else's. They've got to make that conscious decision of how good they want to be. Um, and, and don't forget, I also preach uh, education and family too. I'm, I'm very big on that. They're the two most important things in life, as far as I'm concerned. Everywhere I go, I do teach that. But I, I, I was, you know, I've had some uh, great young people that have come to me and asked me to help them and things like that and as a coach um, and you would have been through this too you coach young people and you see them go on to SBL or QBL or NBL and in my case I've seen them go through to Olympics Um, so that gives you a real buzz so now what I would like to do is uh, you know, to just use that um, and spread that word more to to help those those kids uh, get on with it. I guess is the right word. So that inspires me because now when I see there's coaches like Trevor Gleeson who's now equaled my record mm. in the NBL coaching. Trevor started coaching with me as our development coach at the Brisbane Bullets, yeah. and to me that is that's like winning championships. Mm. So seeing that, and I've seen. 
thing. You know, Robbie Kadee comes through. A lot of my players, and a lot of, like I said, a lot of players go on to the Olympics. And you know, I had Danny Morsu and Larry Sandstock and people like that. Who uh, and, you, and not that I, I'm, I'm not the one that's made them, but I was part of their life getting yeah. there, and that that gives me a lot of incentive. So if I can help other kids now, because I'd love to find another Danny Morsu, I'd love to find another Paddy Mills, um, I'd like to find another Larry Sandstock, and there's a lot of kids out there. And as you know, I do a lot of um, uh, country work. Mm. I go around all around the state, and uh, I do clinics and I coach practically nearly every seven days a week. So yeah. I, I just want to open those opportunities, but I focus more on the kids that uh, that the uh, the state bodies and the Australian basketball they don't focus on the kids that uh, not so, I don't like the word mediocre, but they're, they're bottom of the rung players. Yeah. They look after the elite kids, and I think that these kids in this lower level, there's a lot of great kids down there given that opportunity and they're going to be right up there as well yeah for sure and I was going to ask you when you're at clinics I know you run a lot of clinics um, out in the community and out in the country and that sort of thing what are the things that you see that might identify an athlete with potential Um, well first of all I look at their athleticism because you can teach an athlete to play basketball you can't do the vice versa Um, and then I look at um, you know their eye hand coordination their footwork I look at things like that and um, one thing you know there was a young lad I was and, and that's when I found I saw Danny you know he was just going to be a natural you could pick mm-hmm. Danny but there's a young boy that I bought down from Blackwater who just completed my basketball Brian Kill Basketball Academy um, young Clinton uh, he came down here and uh, I could see him he had something and he had that drive And but now Clinton you know basketball's been good to him down here he's going to be a school teacher going to university next year and going to be a school teacher and, and go back and work in his community so that that's that's another great win for yeah, me as far great. as I'm concerned so there's a lot of little things like that Anthony and also you know um, there's a lot of issues out in the world today and for young kids and you know we've been fortunate enough to help a young lad who was only uh, 11 or 12 he, you know he wanted to take his life but he came to our clinics and saw himself at our clinics photos and everything and that boy's still with us today so mm. the, you're asking me about what things drive me on there's a lot of things it's not just the winning of trophies that's that's the biggest win in my life and that, that surpasses any championships that I've won to be honest with you yeah it's right up there with playing for Australia in the Olympics yeah how much does attitude come into it with uh, the kids that you you see uh, at your clinics and that sort of stuff well attitudes and uh, and and you know I've got to be honest the kids today uh, I remember when I was started coaching under 12, uh, sorry, under 20 kids, um, and you'd ask them to jump, and they'd say how high. Uh, now you coach kids 11 and 12, and you say the same thing, and they say, why should I? And I'm not saying all kids, but their attitude has changed. Mm. Kids' attitude have changed. Um, society is uh, has is not as uh, tough with young kids these days uh, the police haven't got the power the school teachers haven't got the power when I went to school and my old man was a copper and I only had to look sideways and you know I knew what was wrong and I'm not saying that was right but you know I think that respect is another big thing that I'm strong on I teach and I encourage kids to respect we had 
25 plus um, multicultural girls here today and they all respected us and we respected them and they all respected each other and, and that was a great feel here today and you know um, so that's another story I'm trying to bring multiculturalism to bring a, our nation together mm. a lot more because sport can do it um, but yeah so there's a lot of things that inspire me to do it and when I see somebody and if they're keen I'll work with them yeah if, if they, get, they come here and I've got to force them I won't work with them yeah yeah and I think um, you know that's probably uh, one of the things that points to your success that you've had is that um, you know you're out there and you're, you're doing it every day not just some days <laughs> uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about too was um, the clinics and pathways you've been doing been delivering have had an impact all over Australia but also on the Asia Pacific. Um, although, how did those things come about and um, what were some of your more memorable experiences out in the country or you know out and about doing clinics? Well you know there, there's many and uh, in the country you know for instance when I worked with the government uh, when I got sacked for the last time at the Brisbane Bullets and I worked in sport and recreation and our sports minister was Terry McEnroth and uh, uh, he put in uh, programs and wanted me to, to be part of them and one of them was get, taking um, Indigenous athletes all around the state and we'd go into communities and we went to Bamagar one year and there was this big six foot ten kid walking around from grade ten and um, I asked him his name and I said did he play sport and he said yeah I play a bit of this and that and that kid turned out to be Nathan Jay and I rang Danny Morsu up and Danny was in Cairns and when he had the Kayam Pride program going I said Danny you got to get this young lad out of here he's got size you know and I said with some work he could be a very good player and Danny did got him to Cairns he went to AIS he went to college for a while and he even had a crack at the pros and he's still playing in the NBL so uh, that was that that was a great thing for me going out there but I, I see there's a lot of kids that you know I had people coming down from uh, Rockhampton, Miraburra, uh, Bundaberg, uh, Toowoomba, uh, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast come down to my clinics in the last we put through over 300 kids in the last five days mm-hmm. so um, they're coming from all over the place and uh, I even had one um, you know uh, they're stuck in New Zealand at the moment they couldn't get over here but you know so uh, my reputation is is pretty good I think and you know um, we we treat the kids well we encourage them to enjoy the game we're very conscious with the girls because we're losing too many girls in basketball Mm. so we want to get to the younger girls and encourage them to have fun our clinics are about learning and having fun we don't want anyone walking away sad or upset or anything like that we want them coming here with a smile leaving with a bigger smile Mm. that's our charter the indigenous side of work we have the we do an indigenous clinic every school holidays which is uh, supported by Brisbane City Council and we have a Yibba program now where we take the the better kids from those clinics into Yibba where we work once or twice a month with them and uh, then we want them to go on to the Australian Indigenous Basketball program which is the seniors that Joel Carlu and um, Ricky Baldwin run and they do it's a fantastic program that they got so now we've got a program for these kids so let's hope in years to come we'll see more girls in the Australian team, Indigenous mm. girls and more Paddy Mills and Danny Moore Sues and, and of course my great friend and he's another guy I, I didn't speak much about but I uh, I had a great 
person that inspired me way back in 67, 68, and that was Michael Armat, the first Indigenous uh, player to play for Australia in the Olympics. Yeah. And Michael's family, his daughters live in um, Adelaide. I caught up with them and I did a, a segment for they're doing a documentary on Michael. Oh, and, great. Uh, great, one of the greatest players. Not many players I would pay money to go and watch, but he would be one of them. Yeah. Could pass the ball, brilliant player, brilliant to watch. But he put his hand around his, my shoulder and said, Curly, if there's anything you want, ever want, or if I can help you in any way, call me mm. and I was taken aback by that because I think of a, a man of his statue could would come to me and he said I don't know you know I know you've just come down from Brisbane and you're down here in Melbourne and I thought that was great and that inspired me mm. at, um, at 22 years of age or something like that then so that to me uh, in, so if Michael was prepared to do that for me, then I'm prepared to do that for his people to help them mm. now. And uh, I'll help as many as I can while I can. Uh, we try to make it very cost effective for them. I'm, I'm always searching for uh, funding and sponsorships. And we, you know, we do pretty well. So these kids are, and a lot of the problem with our um, Indigenous kids and our migrant kids these days is the cost mm. you know and so we're trying to help them we're placing them in clubs and getting clubs to to sponsor them as well so yeah. you know we've got a lot of good little things going we don't brag too much about it but it, you know we i've got a young girl who came from burundi um and she her and her family escaped to uganda and now she's come out here and yeah. she's playing basketball one day a week with me in the women's program now she trains sundays and she's in playing competition of a, of a tuesday night so yeah. that's done wonders for it. I've got three Syrian boys that are four now uh, and an Iranian boy that come to my, my uh, training sessions. Um, you know, we don't know uh, what it's like when a, a bomb goes off 100 metres down the road when they're shooting around the street like they were in Syria. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're pretty lucky and um, I can't imagine myself ever doing that or being in that situation. So those are things that we do. Um, you know, I've got a great bunch of coaches, um, a great bunch of young people that relate to the... Uh, to these these kids probably um, um, although I still relate to them pretty well and they respect me pretty well um, so it, that, that's a lot of fun for me yeah that's great you mentioned um, you know girls and basketball and I think it's one of the things that is um an issue across the board is, is trying to keep girls aged between, say, 16, 19 or 20, you know, involved in the sport. Um, have you got any ideas on that? Well, you know, I work, when I worked with the government, just, uh, you know, going back a little bit there, that we, we were always trying to get more girls playing sport. Um, and I was just talking to a mum out here, uh, Renee, who's brought her daughter down this morning from um, up on the Sunshine Coast. And, you know, it's. I think it's the... the the issue is when they get to 15, 16 and year 10, you know, they studies comes a little bit more. They start working part-time and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, it's not so cool, and, of course, they find boys, and boys find them, of course. <laughs> so I think they're the, the, probably the main issues. Um, but yet, you know, in saying that for basketball, you know, when you look at uh, netball's figures, they don't. They've got tremendous figures in, in after that group. So, you know, I really, we, we can't pinpoint it. But all we got to do is just keep plugging away and plugging away and, mm. and keep encouraging young girls to play. And, and today I'm, I was trying to educate the girls and to know about the WNBL and the WNBA and who's playing over in the WNBA and who's in the Australian team. 
of the 25 or so girls, none of them knew this morning. Right. So we need to help those girls and encourage those girls. It's like on Saturday with my Indigenous clinic, I asked them about Michael Armat. They'd never heard of him. So I'm asking these kids to learn about your culture, the people. You know a lot about your football players, but you've got, you know, the Danny Morsus, the JYs, the Paddy Mills and uh, Michael Cedars, and this, there's a lot of these kids. They are leading the way for you kids, and you've got somebody to aspire to now. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, um, you know, one of the things I, I recognise is that you've had a lot of success over an extended period of time, and um, and as a coach, that's difficult to achieve. So in a typical season, um, how do you keep that core group together? And if you had a play or personnel changes, how do you bring the team together, and what sort of things did you emphasise? Well, now you're talking NBL level, right? I take it. And um, so now you're talking about players that are getting paid. So now we're out of the amateur. Now these guys are playing because they want to play and if they don't get paid, then they don't get paid virtually sort of thing. Um, So we got a lot of... um, situations where you have players coming and going Uh, some players will play well for you and some players won't but then they'll play well for another coach that doesn't mean to say you're not a good coach that does that doesn't do it doesn't no bearing on you at all so what I would do is you know we or you always had one or two come and go every year not too many you try to keep the core of it but you also try to keep them hungry as well and keep them on their toes Um, um, so we did that and uh, we had a lot of success doing that. Um, but bringing the players together, um, the years when I lost championships when I thought we would is only because we had like one, maybe sometimes two, but not too many, one week link that brought the team down. So my, my philosophy was always to have good people on the team and people that played together and played for each other and played for Brisbane. Mm. That was the important thing. Play for the name on the front of the singlet, not the one on the back. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I had some great players too, so um, that backed me up in that. So that that was a great bonus for me. Yeah. And um, talking about some of those players that you know had a huge and lasting impact in the NBL um, that you coached. Um, how how did um, those type of players lead the team? And, and did you have to do much coaching, or did you just say to the guys, "Hey, uh, go do your thing"? No, we 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 did some basic coaching, um, and you know, in the NBL is a little bit like the uh, NBA. You know, you don't do all these you know three man ways, five man ways, and all these drills that we do. Um, you've got to keep them simple and professional, and and more game realistic, um, and things like that. Um, that was the important thing there to do, um, and you had to keep them fresh. Uh, sort of thing Um, because in these days now um, and even in the last few years of my you know you had videos coming into it the one thing that I I question now is you know I see the Australian coach has got four assistant coaches what are they all doing Um, I had none in um, in 87 I coached by myself and one the thing I'm not saying I'm great but I had one assistant coach in 85 up here and I only had one assistant coach at um, in St Kilda so, you know, I don't know how they find all this work for these guys to do, and I think you can make it too complicated. And I think the fact was that, you know, you talk to players. Now, a guy like Leroy, the, the biggest mistake I ever made with a co- as a coach with Leroy is I asked Leroy one day before a game, are you ready? Are you ready to play? And he says, coach, 
I'm always ready. I never asked him that question again. That, that was a foolish question of mine, and I should have known that. So you, you make sure you try and recruit players that suit your system and players that uh, have that approach. Mm-hmm. You, okay, you're not going to get all of them, but you know, I was lucky with, um, you know, with Leroy. Ronnie Radliffe was another one. Like, you know, Ronnie, totally different personality and things like that to Leroy, but Ronnie was very professional in his own way. Larry was. Um, Danny Morsu was when I had Danny. You know, that, that's, that's the big difference. So you mould them together, you make sure they all know their role in the team. And, you know, I remember when I had Emery Atkinson, like he started, we would, he started for me sometimes, but he came off the bench for me and we won a championship in 87. And not many Americans come out here and will do that for mm, you. Yeah. So, you know, you've got a special type of guy in Emory when that happens. Yeah. Um, you talked about some changes in the game and one of the things I wanted to ask you about was uh, the three-point line coming in because I think when you started coaching uh, it wasn't there and then later in your coaching career it came in. What sort of impact did just something like that have in terms of how you coach the game? Well, it, it had a big impact in lots of ways. And now, you know, I had a player in 1980 uh, and you ask me, people ask me who were the two greatest players I had. Leroy Loggins and a guy called Rocky Smith. Now, I hope you know who he was. Yeah, I remember. Rocky Smith, <laughs> left-hand shooter, about 5'11", but could shoot the lights out. Now, for two years he was with me in 80-81, he averaged 33-34 points a game without the three-point line. I don't know what he would have done at the three-point line. Now, uh, Rocky was a... Um, a no-fuss player. There was none of this 20 dribbles to try and get a shot off. It was one dribble or catch and shoot. But then, you know, we had to adjust then and because the three-point line when Ronnie, uh, you know, that that was back in 70, uh, 80s sort of thing. But then a couple of years later they brought the three-point line in. It, it had a new dimension. And then guys like Leroy and Ronnie, they had to adjust their game, and you know, which was fantastic. And, uh, you know, I, I don't like the way they've changed the key way now I think they've taken the big man's game away from them a lot um, the only thing I don't like about today's game is the fact that it's too much three point play now mm. um, yeah and I there's no inside play although if you saw Spain the reason Spain won the, the World Cup is because they had a big guy they could go to inside and they had players that could shoot outside yeah for sure just talking about the World Cup is there, is there some things that you saw in terms of style of play or, or shot selection or um even like the pick and roll, you know, offense that, that nearly everyone runs. So, well, you know, the the Europeans have been run that since I think when Adam played uh, point guard for uh, Israel or something. You know, it, it's it, it really is. They move the ball, mm. they spread, they use the picks. They're not afraid to dish it inside. They work off it. It's all simple basketball. It's common sense basketball. But then we have some coaches that come along and try to slow it down and, you know, run plays and things like that. Um, You know, like, and I just, that's the big difference I see. Um, You know, and that's why the Americans got beaten. They can't handle that European style. Now, I can't understand why America came out here and played games against us and Canada. They would have been better playing games in Europe pre pre. competition. Yeah. If it was me, that's what I would have been doing. Um, they know the Australian kids are all playing in the NBA anyway, most of them, they're all they've played over there. So I think that three-point line has changed the, the game. I think it's, 
you know, it looks great and things like that, but I still think, you know, uh, there was nothing better than watching Kareem hit hook and hitting hook shots or uh, rolling hook shots, jump hooks and all that. That was the great thing about the game. And then, you know, setting good picks, mm. you know, running screen and rolls, you know, and things like that. But now, it, um, you know, I still know they run a lot, but the ball's on the floor too much. It's not moving. When you looked at the, the um, European guys, they just move that ball and they can pass. Mm. Yeah, they're very good uh, without the ball. Without the ball, moving without the ball. As much as with the ball. So I think one of the things I've noticed in in sort of in the time that I've known you is that you you are a lifelong learner. And I was wondering if if it was something that you've learned recently that you wish you knew when you were a coach at the NBL level. Once more, Anthony, you know, that's changed as well now. You know, the money the guys are getting, the opportunities now for players to play in Europe on big money. Mm. See, that wasn't around years ago. When I was there in, in those early days of the NBL, um, and I think it's made it different now, you know, because I believe the NBL, you know, they got to get smart and go to, back to winter. It's a winter sport, play it in winter, but play it so that kids can play in Europe and play here in Australia. That's what they need to to work on there. But look, it, it's a, a difficult difficult to say, but. You know, I because of now I see you having, and I was watching the Australian team, and I saw a lot of players having a lot of input there on timeouts. What do you think about that? Uh, not in favour of it. I don't mind advice, and I always listen to players. I always listen to them, and I always said to them, I said, hey, I'm always open for suggestions or ideas. I said, but if I don't use it, that doesn't mean to say it's no good. Mm. You know, they need to understand that. But I thought there was too much of that, and uh, I thought their patience would run their soul on there for a few, t- few games. <laughs> Did you have a mentor when you started coaching? <laughs> I The first mentor I had... And he was like a second dad to me. It was a guy called Vince Hickey, who you would have known. Mm. Um, Vince uh, took me as a player, and and I knew nothing about the game. I'd never been to a tournament until Vince asked me. Um, and you know, Vince helped me as a player until I went down to Melbourne. Uh, and of course, he he never had much on my coaching. But when I came back to Brisbane in 1980, end of '83, I'd sit in Vince's old his shop that he had down there in. Um, um, at the front of Orkinflower? At the front of Orkinflower there. And, uh, you know, Vince would sit with me and, uh, you know, we'd talk about the game. And I'd listen to him, you know, because I am a listener. And uh, when I took over coaching, you see, it was in the middle of the Pacific flying back from an American trip where David Lindstrom was coaching St Kilda, but he'd got a job at Puget Sound and the club asked me if I'd coach. I'd never thought about it, never wanted to do it, didn't have any idea about coaching. And I said, yes, I'd do it because I had 16 good years, well, a number of good years, well, I had 16, 17 in the end. But so I did, yes, I'll take over coaching. Coaching. And so I listened to everybody and anybody I could. If somebody came to town, I didn't care who it was, even if it was a Mormon a missionary. And, and, you know, they, they were big pioneers in basketball, especially in Queensland. Vince Hickey learned a lot from the Mormon missionaries. And I would talk to them, but I'd talk to every coach. And when American teams come, and then when we did tours over there, I'd sit down and talk to them. Because remember, we didn't have Google, and we didn't have videos, and we didn't mm. have anything like that. Yeah. So, um, And even now, Steve Edwards asked me why I go to coach. Uh, 
coaching things when he puts on coaching things at Southwest and things like that. And so, well, I think when you think you know everything, you better lie down and die because uh, you never stop learning. And, and I, I will never stop learning. 55 years now, and I learn something every day. Um, I learn something from these young coaches I've got and see what they're doing. And, uh, and, and also dealing with these young players today. And young players today have a lot more issues than they did years ago mm. for some reason. And, we got, and that's a big thing we have to be conscious of as well, how we treat those players, how we look after them. And I don't say we have to mother them, but we have to understand what they're going through and, and help them through that. Because you're not just a coach, you're a mentor and a guardian virtually. And sometimes you see uh, uh, the kids you coach more than their parents do mm. when you're training you know, five or six times a week. So yeah. that's important, uh, learning your players, learning their, their characteristics. And uh, I, one of the things I was told early um, in the bet, they said, Curly, look, you know, every player is different on your team. Don't treat every player the same. Now, if I treated uh, Ronnie the, uh, the same way as I treated uh, Robert Sibley, for instance, uh, Sibley was just a, you know, he was a crazy man in the room before the game and wanted to fool around and, you know, whereas Rat just sat there and slept and Leroy'd come in with his boombox on and Larry'd be doing up his, single, his laces five or six dozen times, drive you crazy. But you had to understand that's how they prepared mm. and you let them do that. But you, you, what I did encourage them, now guys, understand that don't upset the players when they're doing that. You know, you don't take it too far. So there were the things you had to learn as well. So it's not all about X's and O's. Mm. It's, it's understanding your team and uh, and their character. And do you think, looking back at those teams that you had, were they what you would call player-led teams or, or was it, were they primarily coach-led by you? Well, I thought I, I planted the seed and I gave them the idea of what I wanted to do. Um, I was very like, well, back in the, in the first days when I coached, let's say, St Kilda, that first 79 uh, NBL title, um, you know, I, I was the only coach. And one of the, my greatest, proudest moments in basketball is I'm the only coach and that is the only team that's ever won it with all Australians, mm. no Americans. And it'll never be done again. All right, and that to me, excuse me, is was a, a fantastic feat. But um, I encouraged my players to play. They all did. I had some smart players on that team. Like Larry was only a young fella in those days, but I had a guy called Robbie Caddy and Steve Brini who went on to play for Australia as well. And Steve was a very good coach with Phil Smythe at Adelaide, and and Robbie uh, coached West Sydney and things like that. But they were very wise players, um, and uh, so I had a core of those guys. But you know, I we we sort of you know we had dialect together um, or dialogue together, and we you know we knew what we were going to do. And I I was a free running coach in lots of ways. I like to set the players think about that themselves as well. You know, if they didn't think the things they should have been thinking, then I'd <laughs> take them out. But you know what I'm saying? I let them play within the rules of the team. So everybody was happy. And, you know, and I had some great coaches in David Lindstrom, Kenny Cole, play, people like that. And, and they introduced me to that uh, fast break game, pushing up, pressing up at full court. Yeah. Do you see that today? Not as much. No. Uh, and I don't see it very much at all. I don't think I saw it very much in the in the World Cup either, and even in the NBL I don't. And, you know, I was teaching some kids the other day to rebound out of their pass and showing them how to run the fast break. I said, is this fun? They said, yeah. And it is. Yeah. You know, and you've got to run the court. And if you, you were prepared to run the court, you'll get the basket. Although I did see the Opals run a little 2-2-1 press. The other yeah. Day. Yeah, <laughs> so that, so that was good to see. Yeah. What are you looking forward to in terms of the upcoming NBL season? 
Uh, well, it's, it's going to be interesting. You've got the new team in there. You've got Illawarra that spent a lot of money. You've got Sydney that spent a lot of money. I don't know what's happening in New Zealand. Uh, they're up and down. Cairns are a bit of an unknown at the moment. You don't know. Brisbane look like they're a lot stronger on paper. Um, uh, Melbourne are definitely going to be strong. Um, Perth will, will always be strong. And Adelaide, I was down in Adelaide there two weeks ago and um, had a little bit of a look at their training session. And, uh, you know, I like what Joey does anyway. He, he's very... And Joey's a, he likes to run the ball too, so mm. that's, that's what I like about Joey's team. I, I think it's, you know, it's a very open season. Um, a lot will come down to injuries, I think, but also I think the uh, winning away games is going to be very important. Uh, but you must win at home, but you've got to pick up those road trips as well. Mm. Now, Brian, we're just going to have a quick timeout and then we'll finish up. So uh, this is like 60 seconds of quick questions. So Swish or Bank? Swish or Bang? Bank shot or a Swish? Uh, well, I was just having a shoot around with my sonny before training today and I was playing horse with him and I beat him by banking him. So I'm going to say banking. <laughs> Money in the bank. Uh, transition three or the quick hit? Uh, if, if it's uh, depending on the sta- uh, situation of the game, the quick hit is, is I, I'm open to that. I think yeah. it's fun as long as you've got some rebounding strength. Yeah, uh, we're just talking about this one full or half court press. Oh, full court, full court. <laughs> you were fish- actually, actually, I had a coach, he told me, Curly, he said you should start your press as soon as the other team's getting off the bus. <laughs> so there you go, that's good. Fist bump or a high five? Uh, it doesn't matter as long as you show emotion. I think, I think we've taken a lot of the emotion out of players and let them express it, and you know. We've stopped a lot of characters. We don't have the characters in the game now that we used to either. Mm. Coaching whiteboard or magnets? Uh, probably whiteboard. Yeah, probably whiteboard because, yeah, that would be the easier one. Talking about the NBA, who is the GOAT? Greatest of all time. The greatest, well, you see, I'm, I'm a Larry Bird fan, but, you know, I'm a Michael Jordan fan and I had a debate the other day with, you know, uh, with uh, Larry and Jordan and uh, LeBron and things like that. But, you know, but then, you know, go back. I, I love Bill Russell, so I can go mm. right back. Have you ever thrown an object out of frustration? Uh, yes. A whiteboard marker. Oh, and right. uh, I've done that. Uh, I think I might have thrown a drink bottle once, but I haven't done a Bobby Knight by throwing a chair across the floor. <laughs> in State of Origin, Queensland and New South Wales? Uh, Queensland, when they look strong. This year, I wasn't confident. Oh, OK. And lastly, your favourite quote? Oh, my favourite quote. Gee, I've got a hundreds of them. Like, you throw me on the spot here. Um, look... <laughs> I think the one that's the simplest one that's been around for thousands of years is that you only get out of the game what you put into it. Don't come to me and tell me, oh, I was unlucky, I missed out in the rep team and that. I said, did you do extra training? It's what you put into it. If you put everything into it and you believe you put everything into it and you didn't make the team, well, that's meant to be. But if you've done it all and you've made it, that's what it, you must put in as much as you can, all right? And, and that's important, I think, um, in, in the game. But there, there's so many others too. I just can't think of all of them. <laughs> Well, Brian, um, I want to thank you very much for today. I uh, really appreciate it, you giving uh, me your time and uh, wish you every success with uh, all your future uh, clinics and things and um, we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, I hope so, mate. Yeah, I'm always here, mate. Always <laughs> here. If I'm not in here, I'll be out there in a basketball court, mate. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. You can get in touch with me through my email at australianbasketballcoach at gmail.com. That's australianbasketballcoach, all one word, lowercase, at gmail.com. Also, 
follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at Oz B-Ball Coach and also on Facebook with Australian Basketball Coach. So uh, looking forward to hearing from you and thanks again for listening. Thank you.